It's also funny when you read you read the outro kind of like you read a poem. I have to because <laughs> I, never, I can't I didn't notice that. I actually don't read. Welcome to the Poet Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over drinks we prepared especially for them. I am Luther Hughes. I'm Gabrielle Bates. And I'm Duji Tahat. Last week we chatted with Lena Kalaf Tufaha about their work activism motherhood and home and this week we've asked them to bring in a poem by someone else for us to talk about so lena chose the poem to our land by mahmoud darwish let's get into this to our land by mahmoud darwish translated by fadi juda to our land and it is the one near the word of god a ceiling of clouds to our land and it is the one far from the adjectives of nouns the map of absence to our land and it is the one tiny as a sesame seed a heavenly horizon and a hidden chasm to our land and it is the one poor as a grouse's wings mm. holy books and an identity wound mm. to our land and it is the one surrounded with torn hills, the ambush of a new past. To our land, and it is a prize of war, the freedom to die from longing and burning. And our land in its bloodied night is a jewel that glimmers for the far upon the far and illuminates what's outside it. As for us inside, we suffocate more. And in Arabic, Libiladina. Libiladina, Wahayal Karibatu, Min Kalamillah, Sakfon, Min Sahab. Libiladina, Wahayal Baidatu, Ansifatil Ismi, Kharitatul Riab. Libiladina, Wahayal Sariratu, Mithla Habati Sumsumin, Ufukun, Samawiyun, Wahawiatun Hafia. Libiladina, وهي الفقيرة مثل أجنحة القطا كتب مقدسة وجرح في الهوية لبلادنا وهي المطوقة الممزقة التلال كمائن الماضي الجديد لبلادنا وهي السبية حرية الموت اشتياقا واحتراقا وبلادنا في ليلها الدموي جوهرة تشع على البعيد على البعيد تضيء خارجها وأما نحن داخلها فنزداد اختناقا Thank you I just oh that poem Yeah can you talk a little bit about why you chose this poem today There's a a form in Arabic grammar called المنادى the the called to or called for so for example if I say oh Luther you know I'm conjugating that sentence I would say monada and so I'm always because I'm bilingual and I am thinking in English about Arabic and in Arabic about English (laughs) all the time doing this dance um, I'm always struck by the idea that you would create a category for the one that you're calling to Mm. I love that so much Mm -hmm. that form of address and so here Darwish starts the poem with um, he's talking about our homeland but he's also calling to it Mm Libiladina Uh, and there's something really moving to me about the, to 
to our homeland. So in Arabic, and particularly in Palestinian Arabic, although this is written in the classical, um, if I say I'm going back home, I say which is Blad is plural for Balad. Balad means hometown, but like plural hometowns is the homeland. Mm. And and so in there is built in like the small into the large, there's this nesting doll mm-hmm. situation happening that mm-hmm. both acknowledges the individual and the group. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Um, so to our homelands, to those towns together that form the larger capital L land, mm. capital H home. Mm. All of that is in one word. <laughs> <laughs> like he's doing so much work. And that's Darwish. There's so much is compressed mm-hmm. in such an economy of words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will spend my whole life studying how he is able to pull so much, um, both by using the meaning and the cultural significance of a word, but also the sound. Um, I don't know if you can tell um, from my reading, I tried to really articulate it, but there is a kind of rhyme scheme. It's mm. This is still a free verse in Arabic, but there is, there is a rhyme that's engaged. So, Libiladina, that first line to our homeland is set up as a kind of opening and refrain. And then um, in the third line, Sakfun min sahab, so that, that sort of ends that first stanza, the ab sound on the end. And then in the next stanza, it ends with kharitatul ghiyab. Mm. There's that same sound again. And then he introduces a new set of sounds in stanza four and uh, or excuse me, stanza three and four. And he he does this and he's always sort of pulling you forward slowly and then taking you back a little with the music. Yeah. Um, and you just, I always feel very sort of held mm. inside of his poems and this one especially. Yeah. Well, that's just a little bit of what I love about it. Yeah, yeah this poem um, has within it so many characteristics of Darwish's poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, a lot of modern uh, Arabic poetry, just like the callback and Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of dual nature of the callback, like calling forth and then returning to. Mm -hmm. um, It's obviously very musical and metered. um, And then sort of like that final flourish at the Mm -hmm. end, which I always always love and I'm surprised by. I mean, all of those things I think are really resonant in your work, which I really love. I think that was one of the big revelations for me was to see those formal structures employed talking about like Americanness and motherhood in mm-hmm. a way that weren't you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in my in my reception of these things so mm-hmm. um, I love that you brought in this poem he um in that I like that you mentioned the final flourish where you know this is a, a, a very beautiful poem and it's it the the um, the tone of it suggests a kind of uh, sort of complementary description of the homeland, but there's a lot of grief and failure and and suffering that's built in Mm. and, you know, pointing at the self as much as externally, but he's able to accomplish that in this really beautiful sort of box of a poem. Uh, And I'm always surprised by that ending too, that, you know, Mm. there's this beautiful place that's complicated and tiny as a sesame seed and poor as a grouse's Mm -hmm. wings. And you're still like, wow, this is beautiful, but what does it mean? What Mm -hmm. is happening? And then suddenly you realize, you know, that the homeland is turning on you, this idea of the homeland. And and that's a hard thing to say for the Palestinian sort of national poet, right? Mm. That's a really brave 
sort of edgy thing to do in the context mm-hmm. of this beautiful poem that opens with an anthemic first line. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he can do that because of the I think the you know how carefully wrought every single line is yeah. and how hard won every image is. Yeah. And it's worth noting at this point, right? Uh, Mahmoud Darwish wrote the Palestinian constitution that's right declaration mm-hmm. of independence declaration of independence yeah, yeah. And wasn't he and was he imprisoned for his poetry or mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. yeah he was sort under of under house arrest right. yeah. for a long time in haifa i believe mm-hmm. um he was a member of the communist party so he because he lived in haifa and he's from a town that was among the places that were taken in 1948 he's technically an israeli citizen but that citizenship um means different things for different people. So if you're not Jewish, if you're a Palestinian Arab, then you have a different set of rights. Um, and and so he confronted that pretty early on. And then eventually he went into exile because it was just too difficult. Um, but yeah, he paid a price for his yeah. poems. Yeah, and it's worth, you know, I, I only bring that up because to your point, you know, this was the person who defined the idea of the mm-hmm. Palestinian homeland, exactly. right? Like he wrote the document that yeah. says this, yeah. is, this is it. Yeah. We've all adopted it. This is what Palestine means. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to also write these poems and he does it over and over again yes. in his collected works that are really a warning against um, the orthodoxy of that idea, mm-hmm. right? Just like of just the ending right where when that idea when we subsume it and consume it to the point that it suffocates us Mm -hmm. and doesn't allow us to see beyond that Mm -hmm. um or even see in this poem the sort of scary images like the darker images that that underpin the bigger idea Mm -hmm. the refrain um i think that's really it's brave yeah you just i mean you just brought up refrain and that's something that i attend to a lot in this poem because while I feel like contemporary poetry, there are a lot of people playing with anaphora and repetition right now. We don't see as much of like an actual refrain, like the same line, Mm -hmm. exact line repeated throughout a poem. And that's something that you do sometimes as well. Um, And I'm wondering, like, do you trace that sort of move to this poet or to a larger tradition or... Can you talk about the refrain a little bit? Yeah, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I have enough awareness of exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I'm compelled by the way he does it, for sure. I think that refrain works for me in a poem when each time the line is repeated, it's complicated somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's it, it somehow you're, it's like turning a prism in the light and you get, mm-hmm. you know, different things are hitting it. Um, so it's a tall order and it's hard to do well. Yeah. Um, in the manuscript that I have been working on, my sort of newer work, I wrote, it's not exactly a refrain, but I worked with pantoums. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another sort of layer of challenge of, okay, if I'm bringing this line down into the next stanza, mm-hmm. what is the work that it's doing? And it, pantoums are horrible things that are beautiful (laughs) because they really right they sort of force you to sit in the line which is the currency of the poem and um and to really think about what is this line actually doing and is it doing it differently this time and is it doing it successfully and is it actually in conversation independently with the you know so i find that so challenging and so grounding and in some ways refrain you know is engaged in similar work um, so it's, it's, you know, it's hard to make it work well. <laughs> a part of the poem I love so much is when the refrain is, when it's added with, and it is a prize of war. And I think mm-hmm. that's so surprising to me because we don't expect that. And prize can s- easily slip into price of war easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that commenting on like, 
the price of this line is you're getting all of this mm-hmm. in one breath where you've got it before it was just space there was you know you can think about it mm-hmm. Toyland line break there's some space but here the price of war the prize of war is getting all of this at one time and you have to mm-hmm digest this and keep moving forward to freedom <laughs> right and so I, I love that so much it's it's almost kind of mind-blowing mm-hmm. like how yes. simple that is right how yeah. simple adding just a couple more words to a line that you've been giving you've been given uh, by itself for so long makes you think about what it means what war means what land means yeah. mm-hmm. you know what what ourness yeah. means at that yeah. point yeah it's sort of it's exposing you taking it for granted right, right? you're taking yes. like the land for granted yes. and the idea sort of for granted and then just like the very it's the last refrain right right mm-hmm. to throw it all in at once to remind you <laughs> of the blood right yeah. <laughs> and you can have your freedom but you here's can, where yeah. how you get there yes <laughs> i love also that slippage and mishearing of prize and price Mm. that you just mentioned luther and that makes me think i mean lena you talked a little bit about some of the pleasures of this poem in arabic that don't necessarily come through in the english Mm -hmm. version in the meaning of the hometown Mm -hmm. and the homeland but are there any parts of it in english that Mm -hmm. you feel like is a unique pleasure to the english version that isn't in the arabic version such a good question um and i i'm I have to say here that I'm very partial to Fadi Judah's translations of mm. Darwish, so I'm just going to confess that up front. <laughs> I think he's done such phenomenal work really uh, really hearing the poet and communicating that sound. Um, and, you know, Fadi has talked about how like, you have to privilege something in the translation yes. for each poem. Like, there's no way around that. Um but given that, I think that slippage is one of the one of the great pleasures. And for me, anytime a language of the translated poem finds its own alliterations mm-hmm. um, is really special. So I love um, a heavenly horizon and a hidden chasm. Mm-hmm. I love the work that that alliteration is doing. Um, and then I think that the idea of the line is a jewel that glimmers for the far upon the far mm. you know that was one of my favorite parts right there's a there's a reaching that that line is able to do and it's it's lovely in arabic too but i think that um i think it expresses multiple kinds of distance mm. in the english that i really appreciate and admire yeah yeah that preposition is doing so much mm-hmm. right i'm i'm curious um your own perspective as a translator to me it seems very fraught like ethically, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I, I, I uh, don't know enough languages to be a translator, yeah. but you know, to Fadi's point of you have to privilege something over another, what are sort of the biggest, what do you find yourself sort of beholden to when you are translating poems? Is it the image? Is it the sound? Is it, you know, something Such else entirely? Question. And I, I share, I think I hear what you're saying as, you know, that maybe you wouldn't be comfortable translating from a language that you didn't know well. And mm. that's definitely where I land. I know there are people who make the argument that you can and God bless them. Ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just bless their hearts. <laughs> you know, they can think that. And I, you know, I would struggle to read that as a translation. I mm. would read it as a kind of rendering or mm. an actor right. exactly. or whatever. That's, that's but, the thing I'm, yeah, that's the thing I'm really you know, curious like, of. That's hard. And rendering isn't my word. I should, I can't remember who used that word um, before me very deliberately about translation. So I just want to say that's not my original idea. Um, but for me, I think the decision on what to privilege should have a lot to do with what you understand about how that poet's work is received in its original language. Mm. So it is entirely appropriate to privilege 
the sonic weight of mm. you know the line in Darwish. Right. The Arabic reader understands the importance of that. So you know, I might trade an image uh, in favor of the qualities of sound because I understand how his poetry is read and how it is received by his readership. Yeah. Whereas if I'm you know translating a different Arabic language poet who might be writing more abstract things or whatever, I don't know, you know, then I would I would try my best to convey the way in which that poetry is received in its original language mm. because I think my job as a translator is to get you as close to the experience as humanly possible mm. of where that poet fits in the context that they write and work in um, otherwise we're just making new things and that's right. great but mm. I you know I want to call that something yeah. um, would it be fair it's almost anthropological right there's like a real element to that and I'm curious if you'd take a translation that didn't necessarily consider the way it played culturally into effect as that's the rendering. I'm like, it's unethical. I don't know. I don't know if it's unethical. I think that's a big, you know, that's a big leap. I yeah. think there are things that are unethical for sure. I, I think that, so I know, for example, that when, <laughs> whenever we read translations of Darwish poems among Arabs, they're like, no, that's the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it's in English. And in English, this word, you know, like somebody made a choice and sure. you can make a different one. And so, yeah. I understand the motivation to be super accurate. Right. Mm. I get that. And that's important. Um, Cause we all think we know what the poet means. Right. Uh, and we feel at least in Arabic, we feel very tribal about like, it's our poem. So we know what it means, but you don't maybe necessarily know English as well as you know, <laughs> Arabic. So <laughs> that's important. Right. And so for me, that's where my approach is to turn to what is the poet privileging and to try my best to, be in service of that but to be honest all of this is subjective right like maybe i think the poet is privileging this and maybe if he read it he'd be like you're crazy i don't care about that. <laughs> you know like the poem has left the poet and mm. now it exists and i'm encountering it and bringing all my stuff to that encounter yeah. um that being said there's some pretty liberal approaches to <laughs> translation that i look askance at so <laughs> does the arabic have these ellipses in it as well which point to one that you after holy books oh um let me see how yeah or is that um denoting some sort of no it, absence the thing is that here's a problem of the arabic <laughs> like i'm reading this off of a website as mm. opposed to in the book and sometimes these websites take liberties yeah so in this mm. website it has the ellipses i would mm. have to go back and look at the actual book okay. um it might or it might just have a space i can't remember how the mm. page looks like here's the arabic and they've centered it weirdly in the yeah. page that's not how the poem looks i don't know who thought that was okay but <laughs> here we are in my <laughs> mind uh, arabic poetry uses a lot of ellipses it does, and they punctuation is used very differently. Yeah. Um, punctuation meaning, you know, things that are inside a sentence, like mm -hmm. periods and question marks are all, but commas are, yeah, that's, there's no, like, run-on sentence is not a thing. We, hmm. we can run on <laughs> and on, you know, and so. As this poem yeah. demonstrates, exactly. I think. Yeah. At and first, I was marking, I was like, fragment, fragment, and I was like, run-on? Oh, like, I, right? Sentence, it was yeah. difficult. In fact, yeah. this line, the adjectives, adjectives of nouns is so hard because that's a specific grammatical term in Arabic, jumla ismiya. It actually means a sentence that's, like, driven by a subject so you can mm. have it's not a fragment in arabic it doesn't have an to have sentence. a verb a whole nother headspace right and so 
he's alluding to that, but the, I think that's probably too much to carry mm-hmm. into this poor little poem. So <laughs> Fadi has done admirable work communicating a level of it mm. to the reader. Um, but yeah, there's just a whole different way of conceiving of meaning and meaning mm-hmm. making. And sometimes, you know, we joke in Arabic about how there are a lot of abstract nouns, <laughs> a lot of abstract nouns in our sentences and not a lot of verbs. And what does that say about the condition we find ourselves in, folks? <laughs> you know, and so it's, I try not to judge it with my American thinking, but it's a dance that you do. <laughs> Yeah, I I really noticed that moment where it says far from the adjectives of nouns, because I've had the great privilege of reading some of your more recent work, the unpublished manuscript. um, And I know you're very interested in bringing parts of speech to life um, in very unexpected ways and making them tangible and even personifying them. and I just wanted to throw that out there just because I know that's something yeah. that you think about and that a lot. Yeah, a lot. There's a <clears throat> so one of the things I quickly became good at as a kid, we moved, like I said, we moved back to the Arab world. So I was better at English. Um, and some of that is the way in which Arabic is taught. We learned classical Arabic in school and it's extremely formal and, you know, grammar classes are really intense. And I didn't have immediate early exposure to that. So it took me a minute to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um And I was always sort of hearing the way people would talk about language with my, you know, American ears. So, for example, the verbs that I write about in this new collection, there's a a group of verbs, past tense verbs in Arabic that are referred to as kana wa khawata, kan and her sisters. I Mm -hmm. love that so deeply, Mm -hmm. the idea that there is a sisterhood of verbs Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that... You know, in in the language, if you were to write a sentence, it's just the word verb was, which doesn't have a gender. Mm. But when we think about it outside of the sentence, it's feminine Mm. and it's the past. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff happening there. Um, And the idea of grouping things in sisterhoods. And I just use that as an entry point into how we perceive language and homeland and really tried to navigate poems with that. Thank you to Lina Khalaf Tufaha for gracing us with your presence. Thank you to Open Books, a poem emporium, the greatest poetry only bookstore in the world. And thank you, Wine, for obvious reasons. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button and rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you see a five star rating option. Um, Anywhere. We'll take it Amazon, however we can get it. Goodreads. <laughs> who Yelp. knows, who knows where we are? <laughs> Uber if Eats. we're on Yelp, please give us five stars. <laughs> my Lyft driver rating. <laughs> oh my God. And after you do that, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Poet Salon Pod. And please send on your questions, thoughts, compliments, what you're mad about, what's bringing you joy, anything on your mind, really, especially if it's poetry related, but even if it's mac and cheese related. And send that along to the Poet Salon Pod at gmail.com. Adios. Gonna take on these streets Gonna show you who's man's Cause my crew mob steady Feddy and spaghetti Feddy and spaghetti Feddy and the...